You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, recently, there's been a lot of talk in the uh, the media, social media, about uh, a what's going on in Asbury, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, just to kind of recap for those who are listening and don't aren't familiar with it, February 8th, I believe, they were having their normal chap- chapel service for college students there. Uh, a number of them stuck around afterwards, and it just went on for you know a long time. It's still what's going on this week. Uh, they're doing some modified schedules, I think, this week. And then uh, on Friday, I believe, is what they're saying is it's moving off campus, but they haven't really specified where mm-hmm. that's going to be just yet. So um, let's talk a little bit first about what's what's the substance of what's happened. So that kind of gave you the brief timeline of the details or the, of the overview of that. But there's been a lot of different things that have happened with that, including social media, uh, what's been going on in that room. So recount a little bit about what you've heard um, just from other sources and people you know who've been there. Yeah, well, Wilmore, Kentucky is a small town. You know, it's a, you know, single light kind of town, you know, and mm-hmm. 6,000 people, I think, in Wilmore, Kentucky. And it's got, obviously, the university, Asbury University, but also has Asbury Seminary right across the street. And evidently, people have come from around the country and literally around the world, and they've all, you know, kind of come to this small town where they've, they've tried to create some overflow spaces. They have a couple of auditoriums uh, that are overflow spaces, plus the Methodist church there that's an overflow space, and all of those are full, and thousands of people are lined up waiting to get into the auditorium where they literally have door monitors who, when somebody comes out, they let some more people go in. And so for now these two weeks, people have just been seeking the opportunity to go into this room where this chapel service has continued now for these two weeks. All right, so maybe describe a little bit about what that chapel service has looked like over those two weeks, because, you know, I think we would just think it's just a church service. I mean, we <clears throat> we experience church. I mean, does that mean some guys just preaching for a really long time? I mean, you know, you can go for a while, but I mean, I for I two weeks, I mean... Are you ready? I can do it yeah, now if you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what does it look like? Well, from what I understand, and and I Bruce has gotten uh, more recent information from people who've been on the ground there. Um, you know, I, I, I Bruce and I both went to. I know you went to a, a state school. Bruce and I both went to private schools, uh, Christian schools, where we had to have chapel. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you did as well. Yes. Our chapel was usually someone would lead a song or two, then someone would bring a, a, a message. Usually, it was a visiting guest or professor. Sometimes, you know, for whatever, and that would, we'd maybe sing a song or two and then we'd leave because you had to go to it like once or twice a week. Uh, this was the Wednesday chapel. Apparently, that they, they'd had music. It was probably more like a church service. And then uh, there, uh, Zach McCreebs, I don't know how you say his name correctly. Is it McCreebs or McCreebs? Whatever. It's, it's a really different, I said whatever, whatever his name is. <laughs> but it's a name, uh, Zach. I'll just go with Zach. Uh, just a young guy was there to preach uh, the chapel service. The beautiful part of this is he felt like he just whiffed it, thought it was kind of a, stinker of a message. Uh, and then people just stayed around. And I, I don't want to say it's like a couple, like the majority of the people in the service stayed. And what they were doing, it wasn't just continuing to sing songs of praise, but they're they're spending time in prayer. Uh, they're confessing sin. Uh, they're, they're reciting scripture. Uh, some people even on the ground lying, you know, prostrate on the ground. Um, I mean, it, it, and there's a sense of 
from what I've read, from what I've heard, and I've, I've had some friends that have been there as well, um, there's just a there's just a sense of the presence of the Spirit of God, and that's not something you can put in a bullet point. It's just there's this tangible presence or a heaviness uh, that they sense that 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 this is something special and unique. Thus, uh, you have them still doing it on and on and on, and, and now we're starting to see that maybe some of that's spreading to different campuses. And so that's, yeah. I think that's what they have been doing. I think that's what they're still doing. So it's almost like uh, another gathering that we'd have during the middle of the week. They just keep singing, people break up, they pray, they do a lot of things. And so uh, it's just continuing. Dr. Winfield Bevins works at the seminary across the street. He said that on that Wednesday, he was supposed to do like a, a personnel review for his assistant. She called him. She said, uh, Dr. Bevins, you need to get over here. It's, something's happening here at, at the chapel. It's, it's Hughes Auditorium is what it's called. And uh, so he said he went across the street. He said the room was about a quarter full. It seats about 1,000 people. Mm. He said it was about a quarter full. And he said, when I walked in the door, he said, it's hard to explain. I just felt a, a deep sense of the presence of God. And what was happening is people were just praying. It was simple as that. And he knows a lot of the, he knows the people who have been giving what direction has been given to this. And, you know, he was really reassuring about this. Uh, I know this because Winfield Bevins spoke at the Houston Church Planning Network with Chad Clarkson, was interviewed by Chad via video, and it was shared with pastors from across the city who had gathered for this. And um, Bevins said, you know, I, I know these people, and they're really normal people that are they're just amazing people, and this is not being manipulated. This is not being manufactured. Matter of fact, what um, I heard this from another pastor friend of mine, um, Ken Werline, who is a pastor at Faith Bridge on the north side of Houston, and Ken and his son went to be a part of what's going on there. And uh, he described what the service is, or I guess the service, it's just one, yeah. it's not ended. The cycle within the service, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. It, but some of the real interesting uh, focus of this is that the the people who are involved in this are trying to leave this in the hands of students. This is about Gen Z. Uh, the whole idea is these are Gen Z kids who have responded to this. And so I, I think beautifully, um, they no one's taken over the leadership of this. They've just tried to give some guidance to what's not going to happen. Um, so no one's, you know, the self-proclaimed prophet or, you know, the personality around which this whole thing's revolving. Uh, it's really just, uh, you know, I think you're aware of, of many of the different items that uh, or orders of worship that they're following um, along the way. But Ken mentioned, for instance, uh, students will just read scripture, mm -hmm. no comments. You just read the scripture and they'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And the room responds and we believe it, you know, and yeah. then some other kid will uh, read a passage. And so then they'll worship some and then. And even in the worship, he, he, I've watched some of the videos online and he made a comment about it, just the simplicity of it. It's yes. like um, the, the musicians are not professional musicians. They're not professional singers and it shows in a sense, yeah. but it's like, there's this vibrancy to it, even though it's very simple. No so, lasers, no smoke. No lasers, no, yeah, no. <laughs> right. yeah, no video screen nope. per se. Yeah. 
Then after worship, maybe some testimonies will be shared. Uh, but those testimonies are vetted in the sense that uh, some older Christians will kind of help listen to what's going to be shared before they go up and share it. And they do have some guidelines. Uh, Ken Warline talked about this, the ABCs, you know, it's make it all about Jesus, be brief, and it's got to be current. It's got to have happened today or, or yesterday, but not, you know, months ago, years ago, whatever, so that uh, they're just sharing what, what the Lord is, is doing among them. Um, and then after those testimonies, uh, are shared, which is oftentimes very simple. So they'll offer an invitation for those who, you know, want to uh, receive Christ as Savior, and invite people to come forward. They will follow up with them. I mean, take those folks uh, and help them take a next step in terms of understanding what it means to be a Christian, and then maybe sing some more. And then someone might share a brief message from the Bible, but. It's. I can't remember other elements. Do you remember other elements that they included uh, in that? I think that was about it. Um, and then they do it again. They do every. Yeah, you said every two or three hours they would basically kind of repeat that same cycle. Someone would stand up, welcome everyone. Uh, you know, hear the the ground rules of what we're going to do and start singing. They just do the whole thing over again. You said there's a line like a thousand people deep waiting to get in, and people will wait for hours and hours on end to walk into Hughes Auditorium. Yeah, to be a part of what's going on there. You you mentioned the intentionality around having this around uh, for the Gen Z, and um, I think I've heard that you know they've had certain sections, like all the front sections, going to be reserved for younger people, and uh, some of the people who are cycling through on the outside, you know, that's for some of the older people because like they want this to be you know by and for Gen Z because this is how God's moving in on this college campus. Even so, I think this this week the um, the, the 24-hour services have ceased, and they've just made it like a, a nightly thing for this week, and it's supposed to end on Friday. And I think even just those nightly ones are only reserved for like 16 to 25-year-olds or something like that, I think is what I saw mm. on their website. So um, just really the heart for that the young generation, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that God is stirring in them, and so just letting them do what, what God's doing in them. Pretty cool. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. Uh, is this what revival is? There's been some debate of, do we call this a revival? Or is revival something that you call after you've already seen something played out? Um, especially in light of our series, Awakening, where we've been talking about awakening and revival. Is this what revival is? Well, I think from the people that <clears throat> are even on the ground there, I know I'd read that the, uh, the president of the seminary, Tim Tennant, uh, we've we've kind of talked about this earlier, but not in the podcast. It'd be good to mention, like he he hesitates calling it a revival because it's just too early in the game, uh, to use a phrase. Um, it's there, there's just has to be more time that passes to see if this is going to stick, if it has some roots uh, to be called uh, a revival. I don't think anyone hesitates to call it an awakening. Uh, this is kind of a, a spiritual awakening, something brought by the Holy Spirit, uh, at least. You know, what I would say is cautiously optimistic to view this, like this looks like the work of the Spirit because we see the fruits of repentance. We see people wanting to be put more on mission. We see people confessing sin, and we see evangelism happening. And so it's it's essentially the work of the Holy Spirit more intensified. And so how how long it goes is for a lot of people how 
how you categorize it either as an awakening. If it goes longer, now we're getting into revival territory. And if it goes very long with revival, it might even be a great, and they go back to the first term, a great awakening. And so that's kind of where we are right now. It's kind of wait and see uh, if this is the, the one match that the Spirit is using, at least in North America. It starts in Kentucky, because this has happened before in Asbury. They've had a 1970 or 70s renewal. They've had a 90s. This is this has happened before, uh, and 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 everyone looked at those as real awakenings. They weren't like, oh, it's it's happened before. This is not real. But it's just it's just time. It but that just depends on who you ask. Um, when you when you talk to there are other people that would say revivals can last days and weeks. They don't have to last months or years. And uh, so some of it's semantics, but I think all at the heart of it is is this really the Holy Spirit. Uh, working in an extraordinary way, and and part of the reason time has to be a factor is because we we want to see the fruits of this. Like we do, we want we don't want this to just look like it was camp, and then a week later everyone's kind of living their same old lives, not renewed in the gospel, not enthusiastic for the mission. But if this ends in a week, but six months later these people are still on fire for Jesus, renewed for mission, and we see people coming to Jesus at, at greater rates than before. It's hard not to call that a renewal, at least, maybe even a revival. Yeah. So. Winfield Bevan says that the 1970 revival in, at, at Asbury, which is really um, identified historically as one of the revivals in American history, um, and it happened along the same time as the Jesus movement, and he said that the outcome of that, matter of fact, he, he is in a discipleship group with a couple of people who were a part of that experience, and he says the outcome of that was this incredible zeal for evangelism that was an abiding zeal for like a generation wow. uh, yeah. of, of people. So uh, he talked about how a significant number of the people who are part of that 1970 experience um, were really devoted to the mission of Jesus in, um, in ways that, you know, they were leading churches, but leading ministries uh, all around the world uh, as a result of that experience. So I think it's interesting, Ryan, when we're asking, is this revival? Because the truth is, uh, there's no standard definition for revival. There are a lot of good definitions, definitions that you know resonate with us, uh, and yet there's no standard answer to that question. Uh, I think what Yancey brings up is is what we need to be thinking about. You know, definitely, is this a manifestation of the work of the Spirit? And if it is, and we believe it is, uh, I believe it is, then. Is it something that's going to have a lasting result? Because that's what real revival would look like, right? I mean, by, by definition, it's going to give fresh new life to us for the days to come. And what's exciting to me is I think about a generation. Uh, if this is going to be used to make Gen Z, then uh, a group of people who really know the Lord, love the Lord, and are about the mission of Jesus in the world, then I'm excited for my grandkids because they're going to be raised in a different kind of church. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that Asbury on their website, they have that same um, maybe caution about trying to label it as a revival just yet. I think they've been calling it an outpouring service, mm. or I've heard them use the word, uh, it's a renewal. Mm. And some of what you're talking about reminds me of when we opened up the, the uh, Awakening series, we talked about... Um, the emotionalism that can be involved in some church experiences and the spiritual high mountaintop, you know, experiences where everyone's just trying to get back to that experience. And I think that's probably <laughs> maybe the root of uh, people's caution around let, let's, let's wait to see what God does with this over the time. So it doesn't, it, just in case it is one of those things where 
it is a, a spiritual high moment, and then it fizzles out. And, um, you know, it seems like, you know, God's on the move in some pretty mm-hmm. amazing ways, which is, you know, pretty cool to see. Yeah, I find it interesting. I mean, the whole idea of, is this emotionalism? Like, th- there's nothing about this experience that smacks of emotionalism, because there's a difference between emotion and emotionalism, and any work of God creates emotion. I mean, we, we have different emotions than we were experiencing before, but emotionalism, you know, that's the goal, that's the target, you know, and so it's this celebration of just these, you know, uh, emotions that people are feeling, and and the goal is to get other people to experience that. That's emotionalism, right? But what we understand about this experience is it's it's very uh, quiet um, kind of experience in terms of how people are uh, worshiping, not, not talking about their singing, talking about their praying and their humility before the Lord, their confession of their mm-hmm. own sin and everything. It's not um, a lot of um, confusing or outlandish kind of behavior. I, I, I think I can appreciate people who want to be, that, that may be concerned about it, but somehow some, sometimes it feels just a little overly concerning where you get kind of you're, you're almost uh, you're pressing you're, you're screw you're, you're pressing the theological screws a little too tightly, and and I, listen, I, systematic theology and biblical. I'm, I'm a theologian. I would say that my I love that. I love learning about theology. Teach it, but man, it can really if you're not careful, you can you can overdo this because you you expect the spirit to operate in a way that you you have some you basically have some flags he's got to go through in order for that to really be the spirit. And I just I. I, again, I'd rather have a position of being cautiously optimistic. And it seems like the people on the ground that are that are overseeing this thing, man, just humble and quiet. Uh, they've made sure they don't want Christian celebrities around at all. I mean, the fact that, I didn't know this, the fact that they're even telling these young uh, students, hey, ABC, like if you're going to go up and speak, we want, we're going to put some guardrails here. Listen, that ought, to, that ought to warm our heart. But just to speak to people that, you know, might think, I don't know, you know, I don't know, Yancey. Well, I don't know either, <laughs> but I, that's why I want to wait and see. But my heart wants to lean toward, Lord, I would love for this to be a work of yours. So far, what I've seen has been good. And some people are like, well, gosh, but their theology is different. And okay, on some distinct as we may not share, but listen, it's an evangelical Methodist seminary. They've been uh, really great people for the gospel for decades um, and I, you know, there was a quote I read uh, to you guys not a couple of days ago, if not yesterday. Martin Lloyd Jones, who uh, a stalwart of Christian orthodoxy, says, I, "I don't understand Christian people who aren't thrilled by the whole idea of revival." And I'm I'm with them uh, because when you live long enough, and you, and you know what it's like to not only uh, see sleepy Christians around, but become a sleepy Christian. Um, I mean, there's a reason we did this series called Awaken. I just think it's you know, there's a lot of things that I think about when. Something happens in the summer, and we're talking about social issues, and we're all of a sudden we're studying the prophets, which deal with social issues. Uh, and now we start this series on awaken, uh, being you know awakening, and all of a sudden now we 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 see maybe the starts of a spiritual awakening. I'm just glad the Holy Spirit's following our <coughs> preaching schedule. Um, but but uh, you know what I I'd like to tell people is is like if the Holy Spirit was only going to bring revival upon people who have perfect theology, He would never bring revival. And so um, I don't care who he does it with, Pentecostals, uh, Methodists, Baptists, uh, Episcopalians, it, it doesn't matter because what we want to see the Spirit do, I mean, if you, if you look historically, and I'll try to be brief, um, Jonathan Edwards 
wrote a phenomenal book called Religious Affections in which he just basically does a post-mortem on the Great Awakening. He was right in the middle of it. And uh, he talks about like, it's just messy. It has the potential to be messy because everyone's bringing their own thing to it. And some people are just emotional and some people are responding psychosomatically like it's just in their head. And yet some people have been really changed by the regenerating, renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And it's all together because you can't force people not to come. There's going to be a thousand people in a line to get in the building. We don't know their motives, right? right. But there's something tangible going on there and that the fruit of that so far seems to be incredibly biblical. So Mm -hmm. just to reiterate how messy that is. I mean, you think about the Reformation and all of the the messy, crazy stuff, even a war that came out of the Reformation. So what if... In order for us to experience awakening, renewal, revival, what, whatever category you want to focus on, we, we had to be willing to embrace the mess, the, the, the questions and the questioning that would come with God doing something that's a new thing that we couldn't explain in the moment. So here's what I'm encouraged by, Ryan. I'm encouraged by the associated manifestations that we see these days. Okay, so I won't even talk about the awake the awakening series at Clear Creek Community Church, you know. But I mean, the Lord kind of stirred this this in us last fall, um, and it's also something happening in other churches all across uh, the country. I'm familiar with the ones in Houston, for instance. That um, I, I'm on a, a text thread with like twelve other pastors of large churches across the city, and all of them. Uh, we're talking about awakening and revival like all the time in this text. That that wasn't happening a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then this week, there'll be 30 different churches. Um, next Wednesday, for instance, 30 different churches across the city are hosting prayer meetings that they don't normally host, uh, crying out to God for revival for the city, as well as more than a 1,000 uh, people who have committed to pray daily across the city with Houston Church Planning Network in this thing we call Awakening Houston, where people are praying for 30 days for awakening in the city. So those other manifestations, you know, of the Lord's working in our hearts, this thing's happening in Asbury, other universities, which you guys probably know more about how many than I, but other universities are are taking this same... um, they're trying to learn what they can, and some of the same kinds of things are happening at their schools, including Yancey's alma mater. Yeah, I mean, uh, what we've seen recently is as of, again, I don't know when this pod's going to drop, but uh, so, okay, so it's it's February the 22nd here, and uh, in Baylor University, so yeah, my alma mater is having students just, they're just starting to collect just on the lawn and having just worship, just, I don't want to say spontaneous, but it feels rather spontaneous. A&M, they're gathering outside yeah, of Kyle Field. Media. You know, maybe someday they'll show up in Austin, then we'll know it's a true revival. If they, uh, <laughs> but but I, I really, I'm sincere, I, I, I have kids that are Gen Z. I mean, I got a kid going to Baylor next year. I've got a, a kid who's a sophomore. And um, I really felt like this would be, it could be a generation that, that, that where the, the pendulum swings back because of all that they're exposed to in our culture that they just, they're really not buying into. Um, and I, I would love to see that 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 spiritual r- renewal. I, I'm just to, to me, it's it's an exciting time to see the potentiality of it. And I, I joked about like we we had the awakening series on the books. Here's to be fair: this is a series Bruce wanted to do. 
We all get to have to pitch in what we want to do. And Bruce said, I want to do this series. And of course, we're all for it. And I was like, listen, there's a book we ought to read. Let's get going in this. But I'm not too sure it didn't help start because Bruce was already tracking with HCPM where they were just feeling like this need for prayer. Bruce, I mean, not to put you on the spot here, but you've talked about you met with a guy a long time ago just about starting HCPN. And he said, no, this has been years ago that there was a prayer movement in Houston. Can you just, because what, I, what I'm learning from all of this, it's one thing to talk about it, one thing to read about it. But now when you talk about Asbury stuff, like I, I was reading, they've had professors who've been praying for years yes. that this would happen in Asbury, that, that had gone literally out of the country and are coming back because they wanted to see the fruit of their prayers that they've been praying for two years. They're just coming back, just to, I just want to see it. But I mean, that's been, that's been going on in Houston. Yes. I mean, so I, I tell the story of the starting of the Houston Church Playing Network and um, I just tell people we are standing on the shoulders of a prayer movement that happened in Houston uh, when I was a young pastor, and the uh, well, Jim Harrington really gave leadership to this thing, and a whole team of people were developed around this to where um, for years, for you know, a, a few years, there were gatherings of pastors and then their churches uh, all across the city culminating with a, a gathering of 5,000 people at Houston's First Baptist Church that would, they just came together just to pray for the city. And one of the outcomes of that was really how um, churches and, and their pastors began to be more unified. There was a day, I remember that day, when denominational differences were, I mean, people just did not traffic outside their own denomination mm-hmm. or even outside of their own um, race in that denomination. Mm-hmm. And I would say God used that prayer movement to tear down, or at least to, to begin tearing down both of those walls, the denominationalism and the racism that was existing among the churches <clears throat> in the city. And, you know, we, we talked then about how if you're really going to see a city transformed, it has to begin with prayer. And and we still say that. We say prayer is the engine, but the organizing principle is church planting. It's when churches then begin to uh, take root and herald the gospel in every dark corner of the city. All right. So what do you think about, uh, this is kind of a different turn here, but one, one thing that's been unique about this is the role that social media has played in it. And so how has that either been uh, something that has made it potential for um, for it to get messy, I mean, we talked about it being messy. It's like for it to be even messier because yeah. of how fast it's spread and how wide it's gone around the world. I mean, all of a sudden, like this small town in Kentucky is underneath the the spotlights of the world. So, you know, what what's the potential for just the messiness of it all? But then, uh, just the opportunity for the good news of the gospel to be spread out from there. Well, it's messy in the well, I'm sorry. It's messy in all kinds of ways. One of the things that can be problematic is when you have people trying to essentially be grifters. They're they're trying to make something out of it. They're trying to make a name off of it. Uh, and I don't mean that from the inside. I mean outsiders coming in. Uh, social media depends on which thing you want to ride. Uh, most of those to me feel fairly like Twitter feels incredibly toxic to me because everyone's trying to give their hot take or whether it's real or not. Like I don't know who was the expert in the room on the Holy Spirit, but uh, it's it just seems all divisive. So I think there's a problem that that's the dark side of social media is that everyone it, it, everyone feels like they have the voice of an expert when none of them are really experts or at least very few of them are. So um, it seems like the church historians who know about revivals are all excited. 
Those would be the guys I'd listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of Richard Lovelace's, you know, book that we're that we've read to prep for this series is uh, uh, Dynamics. Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. Yeah, and so um, it talks a lot about what revival looks like and and people that have actually done this for a living. As far as they they follow these movements and see what's going on, that by and large they're incredibly optimistically hopeful that this is. I mean, what they see is is encouraging. Um, I I. I the, the good news of social media is that some, they, people see something's going on, and you have yeah. believers that are sleepy looking at that going, wow, you know, I don't know much about that, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to think God uses some of that as a harbinger of what's coming their way. Like, I would love to see this young generation be the next Jesus revolution. Jesus, you know, Bruce was, you know, one of the reasons that the Lord used him to, uh, brought him to Jesus was through the Jesus revolution people. I mean, it's uh, through the Jesus people of the 70s. And um, man, if we... <laughs> we could do that um, 50 years later, that would be a great thing to do. I, I just think it's it's on everyone's, the it's the water cooler conversation that instead of talking about sports or politics, we're talking about well, what's going on, what is what is God doing? And for unbelievers to go, I don't know, what's, you know, what what is all this about? It's just a great, it's great fodder for real discussion about that God is alive and well. And and if this thing fizzles out tomorrow, it's still been a great discussion about that God is alive and well and wants to move in the hearts of people. So. I do think it'd be unfair, Ryan, to characterize this as a, a social media event mm-hmm. because you know, even when people come into the room in Hughes Auditorium, they tell everyone, we understand that you want to take pictures or you want to take a, a video. Please make it brief and put your phone away. This is about us you know, being together in, in the presence of God. Now, if, if it was about a social media event, surely they would you know, do something different than that. They, they would yeah. want more social media, like tell everyone. Hashtag. Ha- yeah, Asbury, give, them, give them the hashtag. Yeah. Let's, let's make sure we post on the right thing so that you know, we're all getting the credit that we need. Uh, but that's not what's happening here. So I think that this is not social, uh, social media driven by any means. And what happens with social media after the fact, you know, what, what people do with it, that's beyond the control of those who are, are a part of this. Yeah. It would seem like people that are really in that could care less what happens there yeah. as far as social media is concerned. Because it's almost the, it's the anti-social media thing. This is the slow, stick-in-it, people-to-people uh, with the work of the Spirit. And uh, the fact that, they, that they're st- trying to stay away as much as they can from that is because they know what they have. But they, they at least believe they know what they have, which is a genuine work of the Spirit, which is why the president of the seminary, who went to speak on one of those nights, uh, Scott, I'm sorry, the president of Asbury, not the seminary, but the university, said he was actually very trepidatious about even talking, because it was his turn to speak that evening. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to mess up, so to speak. I don't want to get in the way of what the Lord's doing. Listen, if, if that's how the authorities of that organization, of that university feel, Man, uh, uh, social media is not going to be on their list of things that they care about. I, I think what Ken Werlein said, the pastor from North Houston who was there, when he described um, this small town, you know, when, when he describes this small town, he says, uh, Wilmore, Kentucky is the end of the road. He said, literally, the road that goes into Wilmore turns into a dirt road going out of Wilmore. <laughs> so if, if anyone gets there, they were going there. Isn't that just like the Lord? to take yeah. this group that seems in some way so insignificant. They're small town, end of the road kind of community, and and he chooses to do something there. So if he's using social media to show people in England to that so that 
people are flying over big water to come see what he's doing among people. Uh, I, I like that. Just think about that. It's in 1970s, it's it's Chuck Smith, Costa Mesa, tiny little church that just, I mean, trying to be proper, they said no bare feet in the auditorium or the sanctuary. And they, you know, Chuck decided we're just going to be missional and his elders all bought in. They took that sign off. And next thing you knew, you had long-haired hippies coming in there. And then all of a sudden the domino just fell over and the spirit just blew the wind of his power through there. And it's like, it's those highways and byways and backwaters. I mean, this is why Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth via Bethlehem. No one's ever thinking they're going to come out from these places. And yet that's where the Lord Jesus did what he, it's the upside down kingdom. So the um, the visual that everyone has of this is is just a really long worship service, and we've talked about there's a lot more going beneath that, and so maybe it's helpful for us to even draw that distinction <coughs> that if people were asking, well, is this what you would hope revival or awakening would look like at Clear Creek? Is that the service ends and people just stick around and it just continues on from there? Like, is this is this what we're hoping would happen, or is this a uh, is there something else? I guess I'll, yeah, I'll let you yeah, I'll let Bruce for sure. Not, go ahead. Well, as I said earlier, there are a lot of different definitions of revival or awakening. And I, I feel a little bit like the, the president of that university. To, <laughs> to, you know, I, I don't want to mess something up that the Lord would want to do. So I, I don't know that I know how to define what that would look like. I tell you what, though, for all of the people who are trying to define this. Is this revival? Is this awakening? Is is this renewal? Whatever. I don't care what it is. If the Lord would do what he's doing in the lives of people here, I want that. I don't care how he does it. Now, do I think that that is probably an extended service, you know, worship service that lasts two weeks? I I don't know. I don't tend to think so because I think that college kids they live in a they live in this alternate reality, you know, mm-hmm. where they actually have space uh, when you're living on a college campus where people gather for worship, you know, a, a short walk from where they sleep at night. Um, th- that's different than what we would experience at our age. But it might be why historically God seems to to do that kind of work among yeah. young people. Yeah, I, I completely concur. I am. If, if, if awakenings and renewals are, and revivals, at least as it pertains to Christians, means that it awakens them, or the, the, the Lord uses that by a spirit. I don't want to say it, that it being the awakening itself, but if the spirit, when he moves upon people in an extraordinary way, that you have uh, an extraordinary amount of Christians who are sleepy coming alive again or awake again, and you have their hearts warm to the gospel again, and you have people coming to faith again in a way that's more extraordinary. It's not normal. That's all that I care about. I mean, I mean, I, I want it to be. I want it to be global. I don't want it just to be even in the United States. I want it to be global. I'll take what I can get. And um, you know, I, I got real kind of weepy about it preaching it just this last weekend. Saying, I, you know, Lord, whatever you did in Kentucky, can you do here? Can you do it Clear Creek? Can you do it for us? And we know Texas is better anyhow. So can you give it to us? And so, but I, I mean, in the end, when people are like, was well, this was this really renewal or revival uh, for the people? that have been changed by it, yep. I mean, there, there will be people who will be uh, faithful followers of Jesus for the rest of their lives, most likely because of what's happened here. So that was a renewal for them. Uh, the, the reason I would put it in the renewal, revival, awakening category is because it seems this is greater than normal. 
And so I don't want to put timelines on it because the Great Awakening went so long, the Second Great Awakening went so long, the Jesus Movement went so long. So they all have different timelines. But in the end, was there an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his people? And did that result in conversions or rather sleepy Christians becoming more renewed, uh, non-Christians becoming followers of Jesus, and the kingdom of God being further extended in a way that was... uh, bigger, larger, faster, whatever word, more superior than normal, then I'd, I'd, I'd all want it. And that would, that would work for me. So Winfield Bevins, I've used his name a couple of times. He is, again, at the seminary across the street from Asbury University. And he wrote a book called The Marks of Movements. And it's really a book about movements of God historically. So he is this um, you know, PhD who's looking back from a historical point of view, what do these movements look like? And one of the things that he talked about is that typically in these movements, there is a, um, a readiness to be honest about sin and to, um, to bring our sin to God, to repent of our sin to God, and then to, to literally have a very different disposition about holiness before God. What does that look like to live a holy life? And then another significant mark is um, just zeal to share our faith with other people. That it, that's a mark of a real movement of, of God, is that when those who are part of that movement now for, for years to come um, see themselves as being sent by God, witnesses in the world, and they're sharing their faith more uh, robustly. Yeah, so all those things are all about the, the long-term walking with Jesus from here on out. And yet, as we end the the Awakening series this week, <clears throat> what's your hope for Clear Creek as we make this turn into another sermon series? How do we how do we make this not just, oh, that was something that we did back in January and February of 2023. We talked about Awakening for a couple months, and then, and then we moved on. Yeah. What's your hope? Well, first of all, I, I have a realistic hope in that we live in the time-space continuum, you know, and by that I mean uh, we're, anytime we ever bring the Scriptures, we're going we're gonna to bring it at a point in time, and someone can always look back and say, oh, that happened back then. You know, I mean, that's just the world we live in, right? But at the same time, the Word that we're bringing comes from a timeless Word from God, the, the Scriptures, right? So it is timeless in that... Uh, what God does in us then can uh, have an, an abiding effect on our life. So I would hope that we have this abiding effect, that we as a people begin to live into these theological truths that we've been talking about that have been historically uh, present when revival comes. I mean, these are the things that the church has been teaching when revivals have come in the past. And we're, we're, I'm hoping, we're hoping that this kind of teaching takes root in people. And sometimes it takes some while to, a while to bear some fruit. But hopefully, you know, people begin to say things in their small groups to their friends. They don't even know where that came from. Yeah. But Maybe it's an improvement on Bruce's sermon, right? It's it's something that's better than what was said in the sermon, but it's nevertheless rooted in these same ideas that we say, this is what life in the Spirit looks like. This is what being fully alive to God looks like. So that, that means confessing our sin. That means walking in a new identity. It means that we're a people who are on mission. It means that we our hearts are broken, if our relationships are broken, so we want to make those things right. 
all that said, if there was one mark for me, that honestly, I, I probably, I probably went into this hoping to see, is that people at Clear Creek believe the gospel so deeply that we tell the truth about our sin, that we're not afraid to tell the truth about our sin because the gospel assumes we're sinners. And so this whole idea of hiding our sin or living behind the mask and not telling people the truth about what, what we've done or you know how broken we are, um, that all of that gets blown away by the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel because we know that in a gospel community, we can tell the truth about ourselves and we give each other grace because God knows the truth about us and he's given us grace in Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, I, it, it's not been another series for, for me, and I don't, I don't think it really will be for Clear Creek. We said from the very beginning, uh, awakenings don't, you can't produce an awakening. The Spirit has to do that by His sovereign work. You know, John 3, he, the Spirit blows where He wills. And so what you want to do is put yourself in a position. It's just like doing the spiritual disciplines. They don't grow you. The Spirit grows you. But the spiritual disciplines put you in a place that when the Spirit's ready to do that, He's, got, he's working with something. And so... If I was going to take the analogy, the illustration of wind, I think of the last five or six weeks in the Awakening series as we're, 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 every week we're just given another blade that we're putting on a windmill, and, uh, and we need those blades. We need the blade of, uh, that, that the, our king is one. Uh, we, we need a blade that our growth is rooted in that our king is one, uh, and that the gospel we needed to get to Jesus is the same gospel we need to grow in Jesus. Uh, we need a gospel of, of living on mission uh, because we have the power of the, the risen Jesus, the Spirit uh, in us uh, to give us boldness for Jesus. I mean, so, I mean, this, you know, when we talked about putting the series together, we thought this is like a diamond. The, the gospel's like a diamond, and every week we're going to show a facet of this diamond, which historically the Spirit has used to renew the church. And so, I, this is not a different series for me. This is a different series to me that I feel like what we're trying to do at the end of this is like, there's the windmill. Spirit, when you blow, we're ready. And um, and I, I completely agree with what Bruce says. Like, I think when the Spirit blows, the, the power of renewal, if he so chooses to do so, and I pray that he does, that uh, we'll start to see people be like, you know, we try to tell people, your identity in Jesus, uh, who you are is determined not by what you do, but what Christ has done for you. That's one of the blades. That ought to free you up to be honest because <laughs> you, you have acceptance. Now that I'm accepted by the God of the universe, I can be honest about my sin because he took it to Jesus to the cross and gave it to Christ, that penalty of. So all that stuff is, I, I'm, I feel like we've, we've just been in the blade installation business and we're, we're ready for the Spirit's wind to blow. I'll just tell you this right now, and, and I'm not trying to be a, I'm not a prophet. I'm not, I, and I think this is tangible. I think we've already seen, um, a breeze or two just amongst our campuses. Uh, I think we're people t talking about, I mean, I've seen more people on mission in the last two months than I have in the last probably four to five years. I've seen more people confess their sin, being honest with stuff. And so, uh, I, you know, I know that in the, Bruce has been here for 30 years. I've been here for 25. Those things can go up and down. But man, I, I'm, I'm ready. I think we're ready. But I think what we've seen in the last couple of months at Clear Creek across all of our campuses has been incredibly encouraging and uh, even if the Lord doesn't bring the kind of revival at Asbury to Clear Creek in the Bay Area, the fact that uh, we don't have to have a long worship service to be put on mission and empowered to serve Jesus in a way that makes a difference in this Bay Area and around the world. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. May, uh, may God do what we asked the very first week. Lord, awaken us. Awaken Amen. us. Amen. Awaken us. 
Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.